The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Well, you're awful glum there, Patrick. Such a great talker. I said it all a year ago. Yeah, he talked my head off in Tokyo. Now he clams up. You don't make anything easy, do you? I'm talking to Patrick. Butt out, old Fay. Thank you. Let's go. Hold it. For what? Please. He doesn't want to hear anything we have to say, Princess. It just wouldn't interest him. But you must say it. Or you, Mr. Scott. Well, somebody say something. The sun's coming up. Come on, let's have it. Let's have the pitch. Pitch? No. We don't want to tempt you. You made a right decision, Elroy. Stick to it. If you came home, how could you make a quarter of a million tax-free playing pro ball? Maybe I'll be a movie star. All right, that's enough needles. What's the proposition? You wouldn't like it. Go on to Switzerland, collect your money. Ten, twenty years from now, you'll be sitting on some villa on the side of the hill watching the sunset, drinking the martinis. Got the whole thing licked. And back home, a lot of poor dummies, not as smart as you are, will be eating their hearts out trying to make the law of the land stick. Holding the world together with one hand and trying to clean their own house with the other. Yeah, something no country's ever done before, ever in the history of the world. Go ahead, Elroy, go on to Switzerland. You don't need that kind of grief. Journey of a thousand miles begins with but a single step. Remember man said that? The whole world's trying to keep bloody fools like you from selling themselves back into slavery. But you did it anyway. You gotta laugh at that. No deals, Alroy, nothing. You get your citizenship and a plane ticket home. After that, you're on your own. It's not very much of a deal. It's a lousy deal. It's Thursday, November 27th, 2014. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. No, it's not right wing. It's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Welcome to our show today. Always you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. And Robert and I are dealing with a few controversial issues today. I understand, Robert, you're going to be dealing with an objection to objectivism. Is that right? It's all about cults. All about cults, is it? Cultish. Cultish. Interesting. I'm going to be talking about, uh, of all things, Bill Cosby who's been much in the news lately and I think has been a bit of an injustice done here and it's got nothing to do with whether he's guilty of the accusations against him or not. I think it goes beyond that. And I'm going to be looking at two aspects of this and that's the the issue of Cosby versus the art of Cosby and the shows he's done and Cosby, the, the, the accusations against him. You know, I saw a letter in the Free Press on uh, the 21st of this month written by uh, a writer, Carolyn Smith. The heading reads, This Reader Hopes Cosby Performs. Regarding the article to push on, or article push on to Nix Cosby, Bill Cosby has not been charged with any crime, she writes. What kind of society do we live in when people, women specifically, can accuse a man of sexual assault, ruin his reputation, and destroy his livelihood all without any criminal charges being brought against him? I hope Budweiser Gardens has the courage and fortitude to let the show go on. Well, I have to thank Carolyn Smith for having provided my inspiration to address 
this very issue today, especially given the undue attention given it in, in some aspects, and the very important issues that the whole Cosby controversy has come to represent. It's very different from the Gomeshi issue or any of the other issues. There's so many uh, sexual assault cases in the news these days, it's amazing. Uh, you know, Carolyn was referring to the previous day's free press report about Megan Walker, who as executive director of the London Abuse Women's Center, though she was slightly distancing herself from her group, was calling for a cancellation or boycott of Bill Cosby's upcoming appearance at the Budweiser Gardens here in London in January. She said, we're not talking about convicting a man, she was quoted as saying. We are talking about community standards. We have to start taking allegations of sexual abuse more seriously, end quote. The same November 20th Free Press article goes on to note that the mushrooming scandal has already had major fallout for the comedian who has for decades been one of America's most beloved entertainers. Cosby has canceled media appearances and on Tuesday night Netflix confirmed it would delay the planned release of an hour-long comedy special set for November 28th. NBC has dropped its Bill Cosby comedy project from development. <coughs> End quote. Now, these, there are two separate issues that we're being presented with here, one being the issue of Bill Cosby's guilt or innocence as to the allegations, and the other issue being about the art that is created by any particular artist or performer versus the artist himself. I originally thought I'd do this the other way around, but instead I've decided to start my commentary on the art versus the artist um, angle of this. You know, in addition to the cancellation of various upcoming Cosby performances cited by the free press, I also heard that some TV stations were cancellating syndicated reruns of old Cosby shows, long since concluded in their production, all based around the allegations currently against Cosby. And some other radio stations featuring comedy have, de uh, comedy have decided not to run Cosby selections during the controversy. I think... This is a bit of an immature and misguided response to something completely unrelated to the art or product or accomplishment by a particular individual prior to their alleged failings after the fact. Now, I don't know about you, Robert, but I know that personally, if I were to make the personal lives of actors a priority in the entertainment I chose to watch, there'd be very little around that would meet entirely with my approval. I don't particularly like the politics of a large number of Hollywood actors or actresses, but still very much enjoy the TV shows and movies in which they appear. And I would not watch a, or not not watch a movie or TV show because of that disagreement. I still enjoy the movie Capricorn 1, even though O.J. Simpson was one of its key stars. And when I watch the movie even today, I don't think of O.J.'s movie character as being O.J. himself. Do you, do you think of it that way? No, I look at the complete art product, yes. the, the whole presentation. And, and it's a good story. I don't even think of it as being O.J. It's a character in the, in the movie. I watch shows and movies with Alec Baldwin in them, even though his politics rub me the wrong way. But he's a good actor, and he's funny. He's got a sense of humor. And on that level, I probably would like him. You know, all his life, Michael Jackson was plagued with accusations of child molestation, none of which was ever substantiated, even when he found himself in court cases, but which still haunt his, his reputation to this day, even though he's, the poor fellow's no longer with us. But Thriller is still a really great tune, as is the dance choreography that went along with the video version of the song. Bing Crosby was alleged to have beaten his children, but I can't let that possibility get between me and any of the roles he may have played in a host of movies. It just doesn't work that way. You know, it's like kind of saying that because Einstein was known to be a womanizer that E doesn't equal MC squared anymore, you know? I know one thing, yeah. Bob, is yeah. that whenever you look at an artwork, 
Mm-hmm. You uh, buy a, a, and you see an actor, and you have no idea about the personal life of that actor. All you get are filtered results from the media and Entertainment Weekly and Entertainment Today and Tonight, sure. and whatever. You would know you don't know that person. All you know is the is the end product of his work, which is the character he's portraying. That's all you can go by. Precisely. And you know when when a show like old reruns of Cosby is canceled because of allegations against the actor, decades later about allegations that occurred decades before, which is the, the total bizarre aspect of this. Um, you know, you, you've got the court, or you've got the actor in the so-called court of public opinion, and the network is, when they pull these shows, what they're doing is passing judgment on the actor in a very unjust way, I think. First of all, Bill Cosby is not Dr. Huxtable. That's the character written by a staff of writers who all invested their time in writing the scripts. The Huxtable family was portrayed by a complete cast of different actors, each with their own personal lives, none of which have anything to do with the characters or roles they play on the show. The show itself was a great moral teacher, which is why so many of the religious stations have been playing it religiously, pardon the pun. And, uh, you know, in our opener today, we heard a scene from another great TV show in which Bill Cosby appeared, I Spy which still holds its own as great entertainment when viewed today. Cosby was then one of the first ever black television co-stars of a series which he shared with Robert Culp. If that show were to be removed off some network somewhere because of these current allegations against Cosby, what would be the point? You'd be punishing everyone else who had a part in making that show what it was, from the directors to the writers to the actors, and even to the viewers themselves. I, I really don't need a third party to make moral judgments for me with regards to what I can see on TV based on the private lives of some actor that might be involved. Doesn't that sound a not little no, bizarre to you? That. I mean, you look at the credits, the end credits of a TV show or movie, you've got a hundred different people there. And I'm absolutely positive that uh, several of them have a shady past. The thing is, though, that they aren't a public figure. They aren't a personality or celebrity like Cosby is. And so they pick on a, a celebrity, hmm. highlight his foibles, and uh, then paint the whole show as something that has to be banned because of this one person in a production of a hundred. Precisely. So <clears throat> in that sense, I see a great injustice done to the art and the artists and, and whatever they created that has true value that stands alone on itself, on its own merit. Uh, you just can't take any any fiction that you that you get and treat it according to the people who are part of it. Who you know, now maybe if he was the writer, and maybe he was in a few episodes, that might have some implication, but I don't know. I say leave the art alone and leave we the viewers or listeners to decide for ourselves what shows we choose to watch or listen to. So that's basically my artsy-fartsy interpretation of this whole issue. Do you have anything else you want to add before I move on? I'm still stuck on the very opener that you had there where you said that Megan Walker claims that it's about community standards. I'm sorry, Ms. Walker, but I know of no community outside of the Islamic world that has as a standard abuse against women. So I don't, it's not about community standards for her. It's or, about something else. Well, hers is about accepting the, the allegations without, without proof. We should accept them without proof. That's the new standard that they're shooting for, and that is what I'll be talking mm-hmm. about in the next quarter. Uh, when we return on the other side of this upcoming bumper, we'll be listening in to a conversation originally posted by Young Turks on October 21st, so that's a month old already. 
It's an excellent primer on what has stirred the controversy around Bill Cosby at this particular time. There's another universal issue at the heart of the personal side of the issue uh, that we'll be commenting on when we return. And on this side of the break, we'll be hearing an old Cosby performance that's now being cited as some kind of inferred evidence demonstrating his penchant for drugging women. Uh, Bill Cosby jokes about drugging girls with Spanish fly, reads one of the Google links to the following audio excerpt by Bill Cosby on the subject of Spanish fly. A joke about drugging girls? Well, you decide for yourself. Let's listen into this 1969 performance and we'll return after this. When I was 13, man, start talking about weird things. No, really, stand on a corner. You know anything about Spanish fly? What? Spanish fly? It always happens when you're 13. Only when you're 13 on up to like when you get married. Guys stand around and talk about Spanish fly and it never starts with one of the guys on the corner. It's always some strange 13-year-old who says, You know what? You know anything about Spanish fly? No, tell me about it. Well, there's this girl, Crazy Mary. You put some in her drink, man. She... Yeah, Spanish fly. Oh, yeah, that's really groovy, man. Spanish fly is groovy. Yeah, boy. From then on, man, anytime you see a girl, what's your ass on the Spanish fly? Go to a party, see five girls standing alone. Boy, if I had a whole jug of Spanish fly, I'd light that corner up over there. <laughs> so I thought it only existed in Philadelphia, you know, and I'm working on I Spy, and Bob and I are working together. Sheldon Leonard comes up, says, Boys, I Spy is going to Spain. A childhood dream come true. I said to Bob, you know, because he don't know nothing about it. I said, hey, Bob, you know what I'm going to pick up when I'm in Spain? He said, Spanish fly. I said, wait a minute, man. How'd you know about it? He said, are you kidding? There's a girl in my neighborhood in Berkeley named Crazy Mary. We gave her some And every time he told me a story, I had heard it. Every time I told him a story, he had heard it. We all knew the same story. So I figured there's got to be a guy about 2,000 years old that looks 13 going around the world. You guys know anything about Spanish black? actor Bill Cosby dealt with a civil lawsuit alleging that he sexually assaulted a woman. Now there were 13 other women that came forward as part of that case and before any of them could testify Cosby decided to actually settle the suit with the woman uh, who filed the suit against him. Her name is Andrea Constant. Now originally she wanted to file a criminal lawsuit however prosecutors said that there wasn't enough evidence to do so. So now as a result fast forward to today a comedian decided to make some interesting commentary on this entire sexual assault case and of course it's making headlines. I want you guys to take a look at the video and then we'll discuss. Public Teflon image. I've done this bit on stage and people don't believe people think I'm making it up. I'm like Bill Cosby did a lot of rape allegations. No, you do. That's upsetting. If you didn't know about it, trust me. You leave here. Google Bill Cosby break. This is more results than Hannibal Burris. So that was comedian Hannibal Burris, and uh, you know what he said there was 
harsh to say the least, but there is some legitimacy to what he had to say. Now again, Cosby did settle this case out of court. It was a civil case. Prosecutors said that they didn't have enough evidence to press criminal charges against him. But nonetheless, let me just quickly give you the details about uh, what this lawsuit entailed. So it was a civil lawsuit. He settled just two days earlier before he went and spoke to a university and a woman by the name of Andrea Constant, a 32-year-old uh, former Temple University employee, claimed that Cosby drugged and sexually assaulted her in his Philadelphia area mansion in 2004. Her lawyer actually said uh, that there were up to 13 other witnesses, most referred to in the court documents as Jane Doe's, who came forward voluntarily and they all had strikingly similar claims of drugging and or abuse by Cosby. So look, the guy has never been convicted, so take it with a giant grain of salt, right? Mm -hmm. They never even charged him, never went to trial, never got convicted. Now, when it gets to these celebrities, it's impossible to know, because they have so much money, which then affects it, the situation in two different ways, right? One is people might want that money, so they might be motivated to, to tr try to get it. On the other hand, they have so much money that they can buy off people that even if they did do it, like here's a settlement that's so significant and you're going to have trouble in court anyway, we're going to smear you, yada yada, so let's yeah. make this thing go away. So that's why given those two different possibilities, it's, it's just impossible to know. It's right? impossible to know and uh, look, I. He's a comedian, so I think that there's a legitimate discussion to have as to whether or not a comedian should be able to use words like rapist when you're dealing with someone who hasn't been convicted of rape, mm -hmm. right? But I think for anyone else to call someone a rapist if they haven't been convicted of rape yet is is shaky, to, uh, shaky grounds to say the least, right? Yeah. But I will say, just by reading all of these sp specific cases, these women were very detailed about what allegedly happened to them. There were 13 women that were set to testify in this civil lawsuit. Yes, some of them could have made it up. Yes, some of it could have ha had something to do with wanting to be in the spot spotlight and receiving some money for this. But nonetheless, a lot of their stories were very, very similar. It all had to do with them being drugged. It all had to do with them being sexually assaulted in a very similar way. Okay. None but, of the women, though, had ever filed any criminal charges or went to authorities after this happened. And these instances allegedly happened decades ago. Right. So look, a lawyer is organizing this. You know. And it's decades ago, and they, and so it's so unfair to the guy if he didn't do it for all this to be out there, and and now everybody's going to assume that he did it, right? So, but I had, I have no idea. I have no idea. Maybe it's entirely unfair to the woman that he gets to get away with it because he's Bill Cosby, yada yada, right? I have no idea. So now, look, in the case of Burris, he's a comedian. Is saying calling Cosby a rapist too far? No question, it's too far in any other context, mm -hmm. as Anna pointed out, right? Because that's not fair to the dude. He never got con convicted or anything. But as a comedian, do you get to make jokes? Yeah, of course you do, dude. That's what you do. Like, so did he? Is he going too far with the jokes? Then we're getting into the comedy police, which I hate. I don't. I don't want to do. Right? I think that in order for uh, for people to say a joke has gone too far, it's got to go way over the top. Right. It's possible, like when Michael Richards is yelling the N-word for no reason, having nothing to do with comedy, that was a problem, right? That was when he crossed the line from comedy to actually making serious commentary. Right. Yeah. So in this case, he's clearly joking. It is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and there's a separate issue here, which is that a lot of the African-American community is disgruntled with Bill Cosby. 
And, and that's what comedians are for. They're to show people's frustration, take shots at the powerful, and say, hey, wait a minute now, you're going to say this about us, well, I'm, I'm going to say this about you. The reason a lot of people are disgruntled is Cosby goes out and often makes speeches about how the black community's got to get its act together, you got to pull mm -hmm. your pants up, etc., as he said in that skit. And then he also lectures other comedians who sometimes hate him because of that, because mm -hmm. he told Eddie Murphy famously, stop cursing. Eddie Murphy's like, what business is it of yours, right? So there's those kind of bad feelings. Uh, so it's a complicated issue. He's a comedian. I get why he did it. But overall, you know, for Cosby, he had, didn't get convicted of anything. So don't make any assumptions either way. Kind of a, an opinion I tend to share. Don't make any assumptions yet, because we don't know anything. And I'm not standing here saying that I do know anything. I do. I did find out a little bit about Spanish fly, though. Mostly an imaginary myth. Most of, of the stuff around Spanish fly, it it is based on some beetle that has these extracts, of some blister beetles, and uh, but very toxic and very dangerous drug. Not something you should be using as an aphrodisiac. Of course, the real and powerful Spanish fly that people really use is called alcohol, and that's the aphrodisiac <laughs> that is out Works there. And that's the one, that, in fact, that comes into play a lot in some of these cases that have been coming up. But uh, that bird has already flown. Um, you know, apparently when Cosby performed only a few days ago to a sold-out audience in Australia, he received at least five standing ovations from the crowd. According to the conversation between CJBK's Andy Utman and Steve Garrison, I heard on their, one of their shows last week, they were distressed that Australians weren't on the anti-Cosby bandwagon. And, of course, Andy's been calling for a cancellation of Bill's, Bill Cosby's show, uh, like Megan Walker locally. But I think calling for a cancellation or boycott of Cosby's performance is, in my humble opinion, a clear step over the line of acceptability, at least in terms of what we know so far. It has slander implications written all over it, you know, open to, uh, it's almost open to a lawsuit. And, and, you know, for starters, and I think about this, from my own personal point of view, when I'm being asked to boycott a performance, I'm simultaneously being asked to be judge and jury. Right in my judgment about Bill Cosby, based on allegations made by people I do not know, on established facts that I know nothing about, against an actor and comedian about whom I equally know nothing. So I'm being asked to be judge, jury, executioner, and punisher by 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 doing this. And well, I think apparently Megan Walker has no problem with that. Well, she's not. She says she's not after the man. She wants to create this new paradigm for accepting complaints without evidence, and I think that's a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. I can't think of anything more undemocratic and uncivilized as that. It defeats the whole purpose and benefit of living in a free and just society, you know, um, innocent until proven guilty. This was a monumental thing that occurred in Western, westernized society. And I dis totally disagree with Walker's agenda when she insists that we have to start taking allegations of sexual abuse more seriously. But here's the catch-22. I do agree with the premise that allegations of sexual abuse should be taken more seriously. But not by we, the public, rather by they, the alleged victims. They're the ones that should take it more seriously. You don't wait 30, 40, and 50 years before you make your allegation. That's just unacceptable. I'm sorry, time's gone. It's too late, even if it happened. It's, unless something very, very serious comes to light. 
And to date, there have never been any criminal charges made against Cosby, let alone any criminal convictions. And by not taking such action, even if it's not successful, each successive victim was in some way responsible, wouldn't you think, for the consequences of the next successive victim? Who, since there was no way, acceptable way of getting the warning out, you know, about Cosby, assuming they're true. Now, there are a lot of facts about the Cosby case. We're going to be hearing more of them from an upcoming uh, audio bite we still have in store for you. But, uh, you know, the whole thing is it, it is a tragedy. Either Cosby is guilty or all the women are lying, or it could be some, something in between the two. You know, I was looking at this list of all of the, um, I don't know if you saw this in the free press, all the list of allegations against Cosby. And you look at some of them, and... You know, the, the most recent were in the early 2000s, and, and lost, lots of them go back to the 1967s. Um, someone, Carla Ferrigno, says, claimed Cosby attacked her in 1967, quote, when she was a teenager, grabbing and kissing her. Now, I know in today's lingo, just grabbing and kissing someone is considered an assault, because I don't think it was back then. Reminds me of that case of that famous picture after World War II where the soldier kisses the woman as he gets off the boat and then all of a sudden a group of feminists recently came out and said, well, that's, that should no, no longer be seen. That's an act of an, an, of an assault, even though the woman didn't regard it as that and no one in the period of the time would have regarded though that. I, I just re- uh, read recently that the woman did acknowledge that she did not know the man and that it was a totally impromptu thing that happened to yeah, her. Yeah, but she, she wasn't complaining about no. it. No. Different times. Of course. And another one says Cosby drugged and assaulted her in 1969 when she was 19. She comes forth on November 16, 2014. That's half a century ago. Mm -hmm. Give me a break. Come on. So, you know, but there's no proof. We don't have any proof. So the point I'm making is this, I suppose. Those using these allegations against Cosby to personally harm his reputation or further their own political agendas and causes are in effect inciting a form of mob behavior. That the very uncivilized form of trying, convicting, and punishing an individual without due process. And even by treating due process itself with contempt, that's what's going on here. That's what I see. If you want to have an allegation taken seriously, as Megan Walker suggests, then that allegation must be submitted to due process, subject to objective verification before any kind of action against an accused is warranted. I know that when she accused me publicly on the air of being a racist because of my stand on Aboriginal, uh, um, you know, where they live on, on their, just in their, what do they call it now? the Aboriginal reserves. reserves, I guess. Is, is, is it okay to say reserve? Can I say that <laughs> word? Because you weren't allowed to say uh, campgrounds or something. I forget what it was. But anyways, I took action right away, and, and she found herself having to, to, to issue an apology. And I've also learned from that experience how easily she casts aspers, you know, aspersions against people. So, you know, and most importantly, with regard to the older settlements reached by Cosby decades ago, they're a done deal. I'm sorry. And the women who agreed to whatever agreements were reached were in in the same kind of bargaining position as Cosby. Each had to weigh the costs and benefits of accepting their settlement or else there wouldn't have been a settlement. You know, those of us who are sitting in the jury box of the court of public opinion have to develop a necessary tolerance and restraint that makes a free liberal democracy possible. 
resorting to mob mentality and behavior, I think, is a giant step backwards. We don't have to like or agree with our fellow citizens. We merely have to respect their equal right to freedom. You know, even there's so many other issues that have come up. I recall the recent event with Mike Tyson during a Toronto interview uh, near the time when he visited former Mayor Rob Ford. became an embarrassment for the broadcaster when he insisted on bringing up Mike Tyson's past conviction, which he already served time for, did everything. He was there for another reason. It's improper to bring that up. You don't keep punishing a person when their punishment has been paid. That's the point of it. Reputation's another thing, but you don't bring it up in the public forum. There is no real court of public opinion, as they call it. It's not a court. It's just a public opinion. It's a forum, not a court. And uh, so Tyson, right, quite, you know, rightly in my opinion, took the interviewer to task for some of his statements that he, had to s- that he said. And I think you have to draw the line of acceptable social norms somewhere, and that's just one of the reasons we have a justice system. If justice has been served, the punishment must cease. I mean, we live in a province, for heaven's sakes, where the government made a deal with the devil, Carla Homolka herself, a known and convicted multiple child rapist and murderer. She walks freely to get today in this country. And I can't go around, you know, accusing accusing her of murder anymore, and I haven't got a right to go and tell people, don't hire her because of this. These are not my prerogatives. I'm sure she could take action against me if I did, and, I, and she would be legally justified. Not that she might ever choose to do it for other reasons. So, um, you know, the issue is not about whether Cosby did or did not do the things he's been accused of. It's our knowledge, our own knowledge as to the truth. And without due process in a court of law, we have no social, moral, or legally acceptable way of arriving at this truth. And even when there is due process, there can often still be a great element of doubt as to the actual truth uh, or the facts. So, There's a lot else going on here, all kinds of forces at work here, political forces, um, attitudes, social forces, changes in in the norm of what's acceptable between what, in the time when these things allegedly happen, it's all allegations, and to the point that we are today. We're going to be taking our break for the bottom of the hour now, and coming up next is a very, very interesting conversation. I'm kind of glad that it turned out to be all women involved in the conversation because it's from uh, November 17th, just a few days ago, from The View, where um, the panel there, including Whoopi Goldberg, who had some very interesting comments to make about the whole Bill Cosby situation, and we'll leave it there for today. There have been uh, serious allegations raised about you in recent days. You're shaking your head no. Uh, I'm in the news business. I have to ask the question. Do you, do you have any response to those charges? Shaking your head no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his lawyer did respond, though, if I could just read it real quick. His uh, lawyer said over the past several weeks, the decade-old discredited allegations against Mr. Cosby have resurfaced. The fact that they're being repeated doesn't make them true. Mr. Cosby does not intend to dignify these allegations with, that, with any comment. He'd like to thank all of his fans for the outpouring of support and assure them that age 77, he's doing his best work. There will be no further statement from Mr. Cosby or any of his representatives. Yeah, yeah this started <laughs> with a comedian, Hannibal Burris, who's a really funny guy, doing Very a local set in uh, Philly and he did a bit for about a month Mm -hmm. and he told a whole bit in it about his act Mm -hmm. like you know Mm -hmm. and uh, Howard Stern had him on and Mm -hmm. said and he's like I've been doing it for months and all of a sudden it started blowing Mm -hmm. up and the woman who uh, started the uh, raised the allegations she said she was 17 at the time Mm -hmm. living in an apartment that was paid for by Bill Cosby and her manager Mm -hmm. and uh, she said that no one listened to her or the story would never get any national attention until this comedian 
brought it up. Mm. You know what's crazy for me, though? It's whether the allegations mm. are true or not. It's the fact the venom that the public has when they go on social media. It's as if you are guilty until proven innocent. And, you know, if these are true, I, I hope these women have their day in court and I hope that he gets the punishment necessary. But if it's not true, a lot of people have rushed to judgment. And, and so I just, I just think that we should allow the process of law to yeah. follow it's a tragedy or was. a tragedy right either he, follow, either right? he raped women isn't it it was a settled they had a settlement so it, it already they already had a settlement so the, and the statute of limitations is over yeah so it's not as if he could be tried for this for I any think, of the other women as well no well, the third no the, no one no one has met these other women as of yet and and quite honestly you know look I'm, I'm sorry having been on both sides of this where people allege that you do something it doesn't matter now this is out of the cats out of the bag people have it in their head and I have a lot of questions for the lady maybe she'll come on she talked you know? this morning she answered questions on GMA and we have a clip of it because I think a lot of people have questions yes do we have that what does she say I had one glass of wine and the next thing I knew I was coming to slumped over the toilet when I went into the lawyer's office he laughed at me who's gonna believe that Bill Cosby Dr. Huxtable wow. perhaps the police might have believed it she went or, the the or the hospital where you go don't don't you do a kit when you say someone is raped you don't they don't the police a rape kit is what it's called isn't that the next step once you make an allegation don't the cops take you into the into the hospital for it. Yes, they definitely right. do that. It's a tragedy. Either 13 women were raped by someone too powerful to face the full weight of the criminal justice mm -hmm. system or an innocent man is being falsely accused. This is either a tragedy yeah. or a tragedy. So I sort of hate being part of the conversation about these stories. It makes me that sweat. My point. I mean, you know, yeah. I don't know what the point. truth is, but yeah. either, you know, more than a dozen women were raped by a very powerful, famous man with I the means the to brush this under the rug, right. or yeah. they're lying about a man whose life's being destroyed. So either way, this is devastating. You know, again, having been on both sides of this, you know. But have you ever been accused of a crime? Yeah. A crime? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, and you can try to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure we will, but I didn't know. <laughs> you know. Google sucks. Well, you know. <laughs> You can try to get it, you know, I've been accused of a lot of stuff, and I've had friends that have been accused of a lot of stuff. And one of the things that getting accused of a lot of stuff when you're famous does is it opens the door for everybody to come out and say, and me too, boss, and me too, it's like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah. So you have to really, like, take a minute and follow follow the evidence, follow what, hap follow what happens. We see that, you know, other friends of ours, in a similar position of being accused of something. So cops are still investigating. We'll know when we know. That's what I know. You must ready yourselves, my friends. Your moment is at ones who can stop us are those enemies among us, those who are weak and faithless, those who do not believe.
Those who attack me out of fear and jealousy, these are our enemies. Every moment you tolerate their presence among us is a moment lost for you and your children and your children's children. I know of one. Leila, no. My husband. He speaks against you in the dead of night. Lying beside me, he's afraid of the future. Afraid of dying for the cause. Afraid not for everyone else, but for himself. Sorry, Buck. Are you okay? Yeah. No thanks to our host. The almighty Khalil, I presume. Uh, and do our... Captain Buck Rogers. Uh, Why didn't you wipe us all out so you could walk into power? <laughs> Mass death would have caused much alarm, attracted too much attention. That's not the reason. The truth is you get your kicks out of turning people who should logically hate you into mindless zombies who follow you around shouting your name. If Earth's paltry forces are on the way, they'll be greeted by 100 fighters. Yes, but each one of our pilots is an expert. Yours are not conditioned to think for themselves, only to follow. True. Thinking for oneself is a tenet of Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism, and ironically, it's also what leads many to suggest that objectivism is a cult. They are, of course, wrong. Objectivism is not a cult. It's a philosophy. Cult, the way it's used today, is a pejorative. Historically, it has a specific meaning which has been distorted. It comes from the Latin cultus, meaning worship. And I distinctly remember my grade 10 French teacher, Mr. Leblanc, a Jesuit, who explained that in the strictest sense of the word, the Catholic Church was a cult. Now, remember, he was part of the Catholic Church. He was a Jesuit. And he's saying that he was a member of a cult. It had a creed and a set of ritualistic behaviors, he explained. And it was only in more recent times that the word was used to describe non-traditional belief systems typified by the Jim Jones cult or David Koresh's cult, whose followers, at least from the uh, perspective of outsiders, seem to have abandoned all reason and any sense of self to obey without fail every command issued from the leader of their cult, to idolize and revere him, to worship him, which is what the word means. The economist Murray Rothbard may have been the first to refer to the close circle of Ayn Rand's friends as cultists. They themselves, tongue-in-cheek, call themselves the collective, an obvious nod to the apparent irony of having a close-knit group of people advocating for individualism and selfishness as a virtue. They were not ignorant of the fact that in order to advance a good idea, one must organize as a group. It's simply futile to advance a society as one person without bringing others into a fold and creating a movement. It's like building a better mousetrap but not telling anyone about it, or marketing it, or producing them in quantity for sale. It'll never get off the drawing board. The objectivist movement, if one could call it that, has as its core the writings of Ayn Rand, both fiction and non-fiction. That's it. That's all it is. 
From there, people are free to discover and analyze her body of work and make of it what they will, as millions have done and will continue to do so. But the organized efforts of the Ayn Rand Institute to promote objectivism as the philosophy of Ayn Rand are not, in and of themselves, cultish. They are simply the path that some people, acting together, have chosen to better the world around them. To call them a cult is not unlike calling Sam's Club's members a cult. Or a cult-ish. They each pay to an organization, carry membership cards in their pockets, frequent the same store on a regular basis, and once in the store, follow the ritualistic behaviors of grabbing a cart, perusing the aisles, and lining up at the checkout, etc., etc. They may even, in their private lives, extol the benefits of being a Sam's Club member. That doesn't make them members of a cult. What follows is a clip from a recent Vimeo video by our mutual friend, Bob, Simon O'Riordan in Mm -hmm. England, Now, Simon is an admirer of Rand and her works, but not so much an admirer of her, quote, official followers and their coterie. You can find this video on Simon's Vimeo channel, Veruca Salt UK. Let's give a listen. Yeah. I'm remaking my opinion piece about the November 13th edition of Just Right, which is about objectivism. They introduced... Two converts who came from no particular tradition or ability and had gone a great, great distance in terms of what they could achieve and how they could think for themselves, or at least how they could think they were thinking for themselves. And <laughs> I came up with a, a list of points. They seemed like nice enough people. Um, they didn't say anything that was outrageous, except perhaps that uh, to call objectivism a cult is specious. Well, of course, objectivism as a philosophy is not a cult, but Ayn Rand, as a public figure, is a cult figure. And Ayn Rand's literature is cultish. You see, you read these books, you have this tremendous effect and you think, gosh, that was interesting. And if you stop questioning because somebody tells you that's rational, then really it's like taking cocaine to be happy. Happiness is not found in a file of drugs. Just as happiness is not found and rationality is not found in reading an Ayn Rand novel. But people read them again and again, they become Ayn Rand junkies, and they are grist to the mill for people who wish to make them into a cult, without ever admitting that they're a cult, because of course they're rational. Um, For example, the quote, there was a philosopher who wasn't an objectivist, lost in admiration for Aristotle, and I thought that was a wonderful thing to include in the show, because... Aristotle deserves all the admiration he can get. He was a a true, fantastic giant. And Ayn Rand, of course, tinkered around the ages and came up with this philosophy and made made a remarkable amount of progress. But standing on the shoulders of giants, obviously, she knew which giants to pick. Give her that much credit.
They played Yaron Brook. Now I've nothing against Yaron Brook. You know, I mean, we've got somebody who is at least going out there and saying you've got to be rational and you've got to do this. But it's Jim Crack. It's his actual speeches that they play or the speech they play saying the sky wouldn't work without the FAA. Well, I'll tell you something about the FAA and the CAA and the aviation authorities around the world. The British and American and European aviation authorities invented flying. Or rather, the people who invented flying invented the authorities. Because when you get into a plane today, if you're an idiot, if you're not qualified, if you think, I'm free, I can just get into a plane, you can fly off, and you can interfere with controlled airspace, and you can fly into an airliner carrying 200 people and bring it down. That is not just irresponsible, that is murder. And to prevent murder, and bear in mind that all the rules that the Sky, the sky League, the Sky Authorities, every rule the Sky Authorities impose was paid for in human lives over a hundred years of development. Every rule they've got, somebody died proving. And to say that, oh, the sky wouldn't work without the FAA and to, to mock them is ignorant in the extreme and irrational. So that's Yaron Brook. I don't, I think it's, it's all very well for the sake of dramatization to say, well, we've got to change people's attitudes, and this is what objectivism says. You don't have regulation, you don't need regulation. Well, in most cases you don't, but there have to be rules about things like the use of the sky. Just like you all have to drive on one side of the road or the other. You can't have it both ways. Otherwise, there'll be 100 mile an hour head-on crashes every 100 yards of road. So there have to be rules. Now, to say that the cult accusation is specious is indeed specious because objectivism as such lends itself very, very well to being used as a cult tool, an inculcator of cult thinking in people. I've said it's addictive, I've said it's like cocaine to happiness. Well, I've seen thousands, well, not thousands, because I'm not all that interested in looking. I've seen dozens, that's more like it, that's rational. I've seen dozens of people who have taken the cocaine route with objectivism and poisoned themselves and poisoned their relationships and poisoned their behaviour. And they are intolerant, they are accusational, they are accusatory, sorry, they are irrational. But because they've got this feeling they get from a book, and because they're told that if they read this and they feel that they're rational and good, they feel validated in all their inflictions of evil on people. And I can do without them. And I think if objectivism wants to be taken seriously, objectivism has to do without them as well. 
And the things that I am saying are things that have to be said by the objectivists. They can't go on tongue-in-cheek, winking with one eye, exploiting the cultishness on the one hand and claiming to be rational on the other. You can't have it both ways. Other than that, it was a very good show. But there's no way I'm ever going to call myself an objectivist. I'm a rational realist. That's something I invented myself before I'd ever heard of Ayn Rand. And as far as I'm concerned, it's open source and open to understanding and contribution by anybody who cares to or cares not to. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> That'll do. That was a funny ender. That'll do indeed. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you for that, Simon. <laughs> By the way, I love the the way he's uh, named his Vimeo channel Veruca Salt UK. <laughs> if anybody's familiar with Willy Wonka, they'll remember the brat child Veruca Salt from that movie. I agree with a lot of what Simon had to say, especially about the FAA. And you definitely need a central authority to to govern airspace. And as a pilot, I rely on it. Now, I disagree on a number of other points, though, or not not totally, but I, I certainly would take a different tact. The Ayn Rand Institute, for a bit of background, was founded by Leonard Peikoff to advance the philosophy of objectivism. Now, Leonard Peikoff was a close friend, was a close friend of Ayn Rand for most of his life, and designated the heir to her written works and her intellectual, uh, her intellectual heir by her. To put it another way, Leonard Peikoff was identified by Ayn Rand as the foremost authority on her philosophy after her. Now, in establishing an, uh, an organized effort to um, advance her philosophy, the perception is that he was creating a cult, complete with a creed and approved standard for behavior. Now, of course, that view is specious, meaning it may seem to be true, but it isn't. It's like a Catch-22. Now, in Catch-22, uh, the novel, a wartime pilot must apply to be discharged on the grounds that he is crazy, but the very act of applying demonstrates his sanity. Catch-22. In establishing an organization to promote what essentially is a philosophy of the individual, one appears to be promoting a collective. Catch-22. By establishing an organization which promotes a rationalism, um, it begs that its adherents not repeat anything said by the organization for fear of seeming to be simply regurgitating what someone else has said and not applying one's own rationality. Catch-22. Now, the catch is that what Rand said is true and rational, but to repeat it using her words or catchphrases, it seems that one belies one's independence of thought and it appears that one is being cultish by simply repeating pat phrases until they become, to use an oft-used phrase of Rand, a bromide. For example, existence exists. A is A. Check your premises. This is rational. This is irrational. If we look at it in the following way, we can see that to call an objectivist a cultist is to use the term solely as a pejorative. If a teenager today were to have a poster of, say, Brad Pitt in their bedroom, a collection of all his movies on Blu-ray, a figurine of the actor, and can quote every line he said in all his movies, we might consider the teenager a devout fan, or devout fan, rather, but not a cultist. Brad Pitt has millions of such quote, followers, yet we don't say that he's a cult leader. Of course not. People, adults, teenagers alike, have posters and busts of Albert Einstein in their home and offices as a homage to a great mind 
His famous equation linking matter and energy has become known to everyone in the world. Do we consider him to have been a leader of a cult? Of course not. Tom Jones could fill auditoriums with thousands of screaming women who would mouth the words to his songs and swoon to his smile. They would throw their underwear to him as a sign of their uh, devotion. Imagine his collection. (laughs) (laughs) Is Tom Jones a leader of a cult? Of course not, no. But here we have Ayn Rand, a, a novelist, a lecturer, a philosopher, and screenwriter. Her books have sold well. Atlas Shrugged has sold over 7 million copies. But the sales of her magnum opus pale in comparison to other bestsellers. A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens ranks as the selling the most copies of any book, 200 million. The Lord of the Rings by Tolkien, 150 million. And Catch-22 by Joseph Heller, 10 million copies, more than Atlas Shrugged. Has anyone ever accused these authors to be cult leaders based on their popularity? No, of course not. So the popularity of a book or author seems to have nothing to do with being considered part of a cult. So what is it about Ayn Rand or her philosophy of objectivism that suggests cult to some people? I believe it might be the behavior of some people who call themselves objectivists, but who go beyond mere admiration for a great mind and adherence to a great philosophy. These randroids, as they have become come to be called. Yeah, we call them that ourselves. Yeah, we do, I know. (laughs) Are trying to emulate the fictional heroes and heroines of Rand's novels. Fiction, ideal characters who possess traits virtually impossible to emulate in all respects in real life. Their behaviors are non-contradictory to their philosophy. They are pure in that every word and action of of theirs conforms to the ideal man as envisioned by Rand. The trouble is that such men and women almost never exist off the printed page. We are all products, not of the mind of a gifted novelist such as Rand, but of an upbringing in a world dominated by religion and mysticism and irrationalism. For most of us, it takes a deliberate, conscious effort to rise above the irrational inculcations of our early educators and damaged peers. Last week I talked about the superego a term coined by Freud to explain that concretized um, set of beliefs and values that we possess, and then it takes a, a conscious effort to work against that once we realize that they were wrong. Now, the <clears throat> it takes a tremendous effort to act and speak rationally all the time and not appear to be like the characters of Sheldon Cooper, the character of Sheldon Cooper in The Big Bang Theory. In other words, a social misfit. How, how interesting you should you should mention him. I was just thinking of him, you know, picking up on the whole Ayn Rand thing. I'm waiting for those jokes to <laughs> show up on yeah. Big Bang He'd, Theory. <laughs> yeah, he would be then emulating what we would call an, a Randroid. Yeah, and they're kind of cultists about uh, Star Trek and everything else, too, if you want to go that As a matter of fact, point, if you yeah. do look on the internet and type in Star Trek, you will find lots of references to, to, to it being a cult, but yeah. of course it's not. It's, that word has been misused. There are some objectivists who do not have the social and intellectual skills to follow their own paths, but to do so without alien others, you know, I seem some of them amongst my group of Facebook friends. Many of these friends I share in common with Simon, and I'm sure, Simon, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I have had these so-called objectivists question my integrity over the choice of whom I befriend on Facebook. Such friends span the entire political spectrum from the most rational to the extremely irrational and mystic. Mystic. We, we may share a common interest, say, in the legalization of cannabis, but diverge in opinion on any number of other topics. 
But if one of these Randroid friends see my associations, however virtual, that somebody who disagrees with Rand, they become threatening. And threatening by threatening, I mean that they threaten to unfriend me. Well, boo-hoo. But not before they regurgitate and quote from Rand or Peacock or Schwartz or any number of objectivists about sanctioning the immoral or by associating with somebody who might disagree with Rand. It's very tiresome and oh, somewhat that, that instructive. Whole Facebook thing is it called? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's somewhat instructive though to witness them circle their wagons and chastise and banish someone for not disassociating from someone they, as a collective, consider being a critic of Rand. Now, these randroids are the people I believe Simon's referring to when he suggests they're cultists, and I would have to agree with him, but without using that particular pejorative. I pity them I, for not having the maturity to see the good in others who may not share their philosophy. I pity them for their self-imposed exile from the rest of humanity, however irrational the rest of humanity might be. We all can't be a Howard Rourke or a Hank Reardon or a Dagny Taggart or a John Galt. Who is John Galt, you ask? He's a fictional character created by a great writer of fiction to illustrate an ideal. I'm an objectivist in the sense that I have read Rand's philosophy and cannot find fault with it. I agree with it. I admire Ayn Rand for having developed her philosophy and for creating her works of fiction, which I consider masterpieces. But that doesn't stop me from considering other works by non-objectivists to be masterpieces. It doesn't stop me from admiring other great people for their accomplishments, regardless of their adherence to irrational beliefs. But on the other hand, I do draw a line now and then at some particular individuals who actively seek to destroy the character of Ayn Rand in a roundabout way of trying to discredit her philosophy. I don't suffer fools who, rather than honestly debating an aspect of her philosophy, try and destroy the creator of that philosophy. I have my limits, but I hope I don't get labeled to be a randroid for it. And that's all I have on that particular topic of the cult, so-called, of objectivism. And I hope that sort of addresses Simon O'Riordan's uh, objections. I'd like to hear from Simon about uh, what he may have heard today. I'm, I'm sure you will. I and, sure and I will we sure too. crammed a lot into the, today's show. And we'll continue our journey in the right direction next week. So until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back. Check your premises. Yeah, we'll see you then. Color it to black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright So Bob and I, man, we're just singing Gonna get some Spanish fly, Spanish fly, love it, love And we're riding on the plane, Spanish fly, Spanish fly And we're getting to go through cussing This is the land of Spanish fly, Spanish fly We're getting a cab, riding the driver Bob said, ask this guy if he knows where we can get some Spanish fly. I said, well, you don't ask the cab driver. No, ask the cab driver. He may know, man. Driver, say, senor. Listen, uh, you Spanish? <laughs> say, senor, you American? Yes. You come from America? Yes. You could tell me maybe you brought with you some American fly? 